pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we just ask for your direction, your blessings on the service and in our lives. We ask for your strength that we can continue serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, I guess. Uh, you could turn to Hebrews chapter 9. There are just in some of these things, there are so many passages that we could turn to and, and probably should turn to. Um, but if we did, we would spend the next month on just one, one lesson. And what we're trying to do is to look at um, these distinctives. If we're going to search for the true church we're going to have to find some characteristics of that church. And, of course, the place where we're going to go is the Bible. And as we started out, we call these Baptist distinctives. The reason why we do that is because they are distinctive characteristics of the historical Baptist church. And uh, many times people will say, well, well, what about Bill Clinton? And uh, my favorite answer is, is that all he lied about? Uh, I mean, the man has been, is there anything that Bill Clinton has been honest about? Other than in his book, he said, I did all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And yet, people will look for any opportunity. And by the way, if I'm going to be a Roman Catholic, let's say, how, how does that happen? I have to go to a Roman Catholic church and I have to basically take a test. If, if I have been raised in a Roman Catholic home, I'm baptized as a baby and taken to church and then catechized and and then I go to my first communion and I become a full-fledged member of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, how many of you know what happens if you stop going to church? Get in trouble, don't you? I mean, I've met a lot of people say, I just don't believe all that stuff. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you tell your priest that? Would you mind just stopping by and telling your priest that you think the Pope is full of baloney and confession is for the birds and that you don't care about any of the stuff that goes on, but you still want to be a Catholic? How many of you know what would happen to somebody like that? Now, if you're Orthodox and you try that, you better check your tires on the way home. Uh, they they can get downright me. Am I... Am I exaggerating, Miss Rita? No. Um, uh, I know my religions. And uh, yet, we do not go to an organization to find out what Baptist distinctives are. We go to the Bible. That's what makes it different. You see, every church out there says, we believe the Bible. If they didn't, who would show up? But then we start examining what they say they believe about the Bible. And we can't find it in the Bible. Oh, but you don't understand. 
Our doctrine is a development of the Bible and the church and the, and the sacred community through the centuries. And, and we have the right to evolve. Well, we just spent last week's lesson on the authority of Scripture. No, you don't have the right to change what's in the Bible. Uh, some of you may remember last time Brother Lucas was here, he preached for us. He preached a, a great sermon on innovation. And what he, what he basically said was that the Orthodox Church, he's in Russia and, and has had quite a bit of interaction, uh, not always positive, through the Russian Orthodox Church. And, and uh, he said they claim to be the oldest Christian tradition. Well, that's not true. But they are one of the oldest surviving innovations or changes to the Bible. And yet there's a set pattern there. And we can follow that pattern. And so the things that set us apart, believers' baptism, that you have to be saved first, then you believe. By the way, how many of you have ever had a set of godparents when you were a kid? You, you went to a church that did that and you had godparents. Do you know where that tradition came from? You see, in the Bible, it says that if you're going to get baptized, you have to give a testimony of your salvation. Agree? Can a baby give testimony of his or her salvation? So if somebody cannot give testimony of something that's happened, what do we do? Well, the legal term is proxy. We get someone to speak for that person. And so that is basically taking what the Bible says about a person must give a testimony of salvation before baptism. Since a baby can't do that, and we know how important it is that every baby should be baptized, therefore we need someone to speak for the baby, and hence the tradition of godparents is born. And you are supposed to, as a godparent, Make sure that that little one comes to faith and eventually claims that that uh, Roman Catholic or Orthodox or even some Protestant, I think, have godparents. Uh, you're, you're to ensure that one comes to faith. But that's not what the Bible says. Believers' baptism, as practiced in the Scripture is by immersion in the God-given authority, which is a local church, of persons who have professed faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and can give testimony of their faith relationship with God. You know, isn't it interesting that the true church of Jesus Christ will not allow you to become a member until after you have your eternity settled but every other quote-unquote Christian church, you join, you attend there all your life, you do everything they say, you be the best Christian they can, you possibly can be, and maybe someday you'll get 
what the Bible says you have to have before you even get baptized. It's kind of scary when you put it in that perspective, is it not? Believer's baptism, the authority of Scripture. No person, no group, no organization has the right to change what's in the Bible. Someone said, well, what about computers? Well, put your Bible on the computer, amen, and read it. And let the Bible speak for itself. It, I'll tell you what, I, I like being able just to type in a quick phrase and get every verse in the Bible on my screen that has that phrase in it. It helps me study. Uh, we're, we're not afraid of technology, but we're, and we're not afraid of innovation. We're just not going to do it when it comes to the Bible. Amen? We make a choice. We're going to stick with what the Bible says. Now, the... Today, if you look at your outline there, we have B-A-P. We're going to spell the word Baptist, and that's just a way to organize these things. And so tonight, what we're going to look at, what we're looking for is, number one, we're looking for a church that practices believers' baptism, a church that believes and practices the authority of Scripture, and a church that believes and practices the priesthood of the believer. Now we could stop right here and finish tonight's lesson, and there would be almost no church, no denomination that would qualify as uh, a Bible believing church other than Baptist historically. Right there. Just these three things. That one organization, one church would have these three things, yet we're gonna, we're gonna add to the list a little bit here. And so, here's what we mean. If you're in your, in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 9, we're talking about a priest. What is a priest? What is the simplest definition of a priest? Well, it's someone who has direct access to God. Uh, we can, take this application and we can look at it in almost any religious setting, whatever, the witch doctors in the tribal areas, what do they do? They claim that they have direct contact with the spirit world, and if you'll do what they say, they will appease the spirits. Uh, In the Old Testament, if you wanted to obey God, if you wanted to take your sacrifice and have it accepted to God as a member uh, of the nation of Israel, what did you do? You went to the tabernacle, and the priest offered your sacrifice for you. There were very, very few exceptions to that rule. In fact, as a member of Israel... If you went and got your own sacrifice and followed all of the priest rules and sacrificed in your backyard, you were counted as an idolater and you were cut off from Israel. That's the Old Testament law. If God was going to accept your sacrifice, it had to be a son of Levi, a son of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi, 
who offered your sacrifice for you. That was the way it worked. How many remember what happened to King Uzziah? As he walked into the temple later, he wanted to burn incense on the golden altar. He had the censer in his hand, and he had the incense, and the priest stood before him and said, King, this is not going to be to your honor. And what happened? The Bible says that the leprosy sprang out in his forehead even as he was in the temple. And he died, even though he was the king, approximately 16 years later in a leper colony outside the city of Jerusalem. It was a terrible thing. God was pretty particular about this priesthood thing. And so, we have these three ideas. One who has direct access to God. One who officiates at religious ceremonies and ritual. And one who teaches about God or serves as a guide to those seeking God. This, this is the work of a priest. Now, we're going to talk about a priesthood. The priesthood <coughs> is simply a defined order. There are many different kinds of priests. And if you're going to be the right kind, you've got to be God's kind of priest. Amen? If you were going to be a priest in the nation of Israel, you had to prove your lineage directly back to Aaron. If you couldn't do that, there were several times uh, when the children of Israel returned from uh, the captivity, there was a group of people who claimed to be the priests. They went through the genealogy charts, and it didn't work. And so they said, listen, we know your claim. We know your, your history. We, you have the right family name, but the charts here do not prove that what they had done was marry the daughters of one of the priests, and instead of the daughters changing their names to the husbands. The husbands changed their names to the daughters and sought registry among the priests. And uh, it didn't work that way. And they said that you cannot uh, offer the sacrifices of the priesthood. So it's a defined order. It's a closed membership. Normally, you will have a high priest, at least one, and other priests that serve under him. That's, that's what a priesthood is. So when we talk about the priesthood of the believer, what we're talking about is a defined order, a closed membership of the believers having direct access to God, capable of leading religious ceremonies and rituals. What would those ceremonies include? How about prayer? Aren't you glad that you can pray directly to God instead of through someone else or another agency? The greatest job of a priest is the forgiveness of sins. That's why certain religions make you come and you've got to confess your sin to the priest at the church. As a priest believer, as a believer who is part of God's priesthood, you have direct access to God. 
to seek forgiveness for your personal sins. How many of you are happy about that fact? I'll tell you what. I, as your preacher, am most joyful. Now, if you've got something going on in your life and you need some help, I'm willing to help you to any degree. But when you get mad and kick the cat, talk to God about that, not me. Amen? Because He's the only one that can forgive you. And the goal of this priesthood of the believer is not that you are a church unto yourself. We'll, we'll take care of that when we uh, uh, talk about the church and what, what the Bible teaches about the church in general. But we get right here to uh, Hebrews um, chapter 9, and we have verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the brother blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, here's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Jesus is the high priest. He is the one that offered his blood to pay the price for sins. Because he has done that, we have boldness to approach the throne of grace. That's only for the priest, my friend. Only the priest has direct access to God. You see, God wants you to approach His throne in prayer. That's as close as you can get. 
You know, sometimes we get caught up in phenomena and feelings and experiences. And, and I want to warn you. There were phenomena and experiences as recorded in the book of Acts. They were given to prove to us that you have direct, direct access to God. So therefore, if you have faith in God's word and it is your authority, I don't need to have feelings. I don't need to speak in tongues. I don't need to have certain experiences or, uh, any kind of emotional whatever, what I need to do is believe the Word of God. But I'll tell you what, it feels good when you've prayed and asked God to forgive you of your sins, doesn't it? It feels good when He takes the burden of our guilt away. It, it feels good when we take the burdens that are crushing us in this life and as the Bible says, casting your care upon him, for he careth for us. Amen. You see, the feelings come after the truth. They are not the truth in and of themselves. Because feelings are fickle. How many of you have ever had a sinus infection? Oh, my. It just feels like you're going to have to die to get better sometimes. I mean, you get a good one in there. I mean, you can't breathe. You can't see. Uh, been there. Done that. But you know what? In the scope of things that could happen to you medically, a sinus infection is pretty low on the scale, is it not? It just doesn't feel that way. Especially when it's my sinuses. Amen? And what we have to understand is our feelings are just like that. But if you'll make your feelings obey, they'll catch up to you. They're just like little children. If you don't run them, they will run you. And I do have experience with little children. And so, as we look at these things, we, we need to understand that, as is proclaimed in Revelation chapter 5, as we will say around the throne of God, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth, in the earth. I'll tell you what, that will be a wonderful day. You know what? We won't have to worry about whether the Federal Reserve Board is going to raise the rates. Uh, we won't have to worry about inflation. We won't have to worry about CIA and FBI and terrorist threats. Because Jesus Christ will be the king of all the earth. You know, they make, try to make movies about building robots that are going to keep the peace. And then what do the robots do? Kill everybody, right? Uh, how many times has that scenario been used and overused and misused and brought up again? You see, God puts the responsibility for human behavior at the feet 
of the human that's behaving. Amen? That's what we mean by the priesthood of the believer. And I often, if I have the opportunity to bring this up to our quote-unquote Calvinistic uh, non-friends, I should say, because I don't have any friends who are Calvinist. It says, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. How many of you have been blamed for something wrong that someone else did? Is that a pleasant experience? What is our first claim? Unfair! Well, even Bill Gates is not wrong about everything. The world is not fair. That's his number one ten undeniable truths of life. The world is not fair. But Mr. Gates didn't come up with that. We knew that long before there was a Mr. Gates. Amen? Uh, Fairness is not the place that we want to go. But here's what God says. I'm going to hold you accountable for what you have done. Now, how can God hold you accountable for what you have done if he planned everything you did? If you're just an actor following the script, that's, that's what the Calvinist means when they use the term predestination. Then how in the world can God judge you if he's the one that planned your sin? You see, they've got a problem with that. They've written books about it. And if you have, uh, how shall we say it, enough of a deficit of sense, uh, lack the common sense to try to read one of those books, you will be more confused at the end of the book than you ever possibly could have been at the beginning. Because you can't answer that question honestly. You see... This is what we mean by the priesthood of the believer. This is the number one thing that separates Bible-believing Baptists from the rest of the world. You see, I tell you often that you have a responsibility to read the Bible and check out what I say to make sure that what I'm preaching comes from the Bible. How many of you have heard me say that? Say, preacher, you say it too much. No, I don't think I'll ever say it too much. Because you need to understand, you have that responsibility. If your doctrine is dependent upon the council of the presbyters, that's how the Presbyterian Church got its name, presbyters, the Scottish Uh, name for preacher, and the preachers all get together and they decide what the doctrine is. And if you're going to be a good Presbyterian, you follow what the preachers say you're supposed to do. 
Now, the last several years, they've brought up uh, the issue of ordaining homosexual clergy. It's been voted down every time. But how long is that going to last? You see, things change when a group of preachers is responsible for what everybody believes. But things can't change if every individual has a responsibility to read the same Bible and understand what the Bible is teaching. You see, that's what the priesthood of the believer is all about. And let's uh, take just a moment here and go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we will find the order that is in the church. And, and again, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Try not to be too tedious tonight. In verse 11, it says, And he, talking about Jesus, of course, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So, so we have four God-given offices. Apostles. Let's define an apostle. An apostle is someone who is personally called and personally trained by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not had any true apostles since the death of John the Apostle uh, as far as we know, he was the one that lived the longest. He lived to about 100 A.D., wrote the book of Revelation, and, and died somewhere in that neighborhood as, as a very elderly gentleman. If he was uh, just in his earliest 20s, say he was 20 years old when he was following Jesus, uh, you do the math, we're going to add 67 years, 87 years old would be the... Uh, youngest that he could possibly be, very easily could have been 110 or even more, he died. That was the last of the apostles. Prophets. The simplest definition of a prophet is one who brings God's revelation. Read Galatians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 22, God's revelation has been closed. There is no new revelation. I don't care how many people get up and say, well, God spoke to me. If God has spoken to you, he used something that was written down. You say, but, but you say you are called. How do you know that you are supposed to be a preacher? Well, the Bible says that ye may prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I went to my pastor as a 16-year-old boy and I said, Dr. Smith, I think I'm called to preach. What do I do? He said, well, you just get serving where you're at and God will take care of the rest. And then he got the assistant pastor and he said, get on this boy. I want him on a bus route. I want him in children's church. I want him working in the church. And guess what? That's what I was doing. And uh, as much as I wanted to uh, join the Marine Corps, 
I had to make a decision. Am I going to obey God and keep serving Him and go to Bible college, or am I going to do what I want to do? I said, yes, Lord. And praise the Lord. That was, oh my, a long time ago. Amen? College was 30 years ago. And we just keep serving the Lord till He comes back. Amen? How do I know that God's calling you to, uh, calling me to the mission field, someone might ask. Well, it's real simple. You just get serving the Lord where you are, and He'll take care of it. But there are no prophets. There is no new revelation. Evangelist, that's easy. That's someone who takes the gospel to a place where it isn't. We call them missionaries today. That's the job. We have missionaries. Paul was the first. Not, uh, Paul and Silas were sent out of the church at Antioch, the first biblical example. Other people had done this, but they were the ones that were sent out of the church, and we do our missionary work exactly as close as we can to what the Bible says. Pastor and teacher. I don't even have a defini- uh, definition there. I think we understand pastor, teacher. Amen. Uh, somebody at once asked me, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Well, if when you're preaching, you're not teaching, it's just a show. And when you're teaching, if you're not preaching, it's because you don't care. So, uh, it kind of goes together, amen? Somebody said, preaching is teaching with emphasis. Uh, and, and I tried to do that. I am not the most bombastic preacher out there. Uh, I've been afraid to invite some of those in here because of the reaction that some of you might have. Should I do that? And uh, uh, we'll, we'll just continue serving the Lord as we are. But that's all there is. That's all the organization God gives us in the church. I want you to understand something. Even though I'm the pastor of the church, I'm still one of Jesus' sheep. I just have different duties to do. And my duties are no less important. Or no more important than the duties that God has you to do. The picture is the human body. Now, most people here know that your big toe is very important. It would be almost impossible for you to walk normally without a big toe. You say, well, what about my little toe? Well, here's a question. Now, don't do this. I, think you, I don't think you'll need to do this to get the point. But if you got you a nice, big, sharp needle and stuck your little toe. Would you be glad you did that? Would you be saying that little toe is absolutely worthless? No, it's attached. It's important. Don't do that. It hurts. How many of you have ever stubbed your little toe? I mean, I don't think about it. I don't worry about it until 
something happens. Then I find out it's connected. Do you know what? Every part of the body, every part of the church is important. We're not looking to get rid of anybody. But we are looking for people who want to serve God His way. And see, this is the practical application. Is there are no room there is no room for denominational boards, district superintendents, uh, if you're old enough to remember Grand Poobahs uh, and uh, all of those other offices that might be out there, that's not biblical. You see, the one thing that denominationalism does is it takes the responsibility from the people and puts it somewhere else. What is one of the greatest things about being an American? Personal freedom, is it not? We, we call that, as Americans, the right to self-determination. The uh, writers of the Declaration of of Independence called it the pursuit of happiness. But if my special pleasure of life is running into a crowded theater and screaming, Fire! Do I have the right to do that? No. In fact, if you do it too often, they're going to put you in a very nice place where very nice people take care of you and keep sharp objects away from you and make sure you take your meds on time and and protect you from the outside world or actually protect the outside world from you, as the case may be. But uh, we call it a psych ward. If you can't control yourself, your speech in that way... They're going to put you somewhere where your speech cannot hurt other people. You see, as I pursue my individual relationship with God, it brings me into an interdependent relationship on other people who are members of my local church with me. And I have a responsibility of behaving in the pattern of Jesus Christ that will not only be a blessing to me personally, but will be a blessing to my church and other members in it as a whole. You see, this whole idea of personal freedom came from the greatest teacher that ever lived, Jesus Christ. If ye shall know the Son... What's it say? You shall be free indeed. How do I get freedom? I get personal freedom by personal surrender to what the Bible teaches. David the psalmist put it this way. Psalm 119. I find thy commandment exceeding broad. You know where I'll have the most freedom? Is in obedience to Jesus Christ. Is fulfilling my office as a priest. Because I'm going to meet people who aren't a part of my priesthood. 
we would simply say they are unsaved. And as we give them the gospel, what are we doing? We're filling, fulfilling the office of a priest. We are standing between them and God because they do not have direct access to God until they're willing to surrender to the truth of this book called the Bible and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they become a member of the priesthood of believers. Can we say amen to that? And I would challenge you, check your history books. No Protestant church. This is why I say some Baptists claim to be Protestants. We are not. No Protestant has ever believed in the freedom of conscience, in the priesthood of the believer, in the right to self-determination. No Protestant church has ever taught that. Certainly. The Catholic Church and the Orthodox Churches do not teach that. And there is no cult. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, da-da-da-da-da. Go right on. There's not a one of them that can teach that doctrine. You know why? The whole Reformation happened because some priests started reading the Bible without another priest to tell them what it meant. And they found out that the Catholic Church was wrong about a bunch of things and they fought wars over it. And when the Anabaptist brethren said, Hey, you just got to take another step and break with the baby baptism and these traditions that you learned in the Roman Catholic Church and become Baptist. Then they started killing the Baptist as well. Be thankful for this doctrine. You need to live it every day. Freedom to talk directly to God. To lead in religious ceremonies. To seek the forgiveness of sins. To help other people find God. These are the, this is the work of a priest. To Hold God's revelation in your hand and understand it for yourself. That's the work of the priest. And God has made you one. The moment you got saved. Someone said, do we have saints in the, in the Baptist church? I said, oh, yes, we do. I said, are you saved? Said, well, yeah, well, then the Bible says you're a saint. That's the biblical definition of the word saint, is someone who is saved. Now, I don't go around calling myself Saint Peter. It would be confusing. And I don't recommend that you do the same. But listen, not only are you a saint, you're a priest. And the Bible says one day you will be a priest and a king and a ruler of this earth. Wow, that's pretty incredible, is it not? And if you want a doctrine... 
that separates our church from other kinds of churches. This one really does. Just like baptism really does. Just like the authority of Scripture really separates us. Someone, different people have said, oh, we're all the same. No, no, we're not. We're not the same. Well, what if I disagree with you? Be my guest. But you see, we do not have the tradition of contention in the church of Jesus Christ because he's the head. And we follow him together and we have to work on that awful hard because we're individually responsible to Jesus Christ. But the closer you get to Jesus and the closer I get to Jesus, guess what? The closer we get to each other, whether you like it or not. You see... If you're serving Christ, I'm serving Christ, and we're in the church together. We're members of the same body. And God will make us get along and work together if we'll only surrender to his word. So we don't need someone to whip you into shape. It's not my job to demand conformity. If I teach what the Bible says and you believe it, we have Unity, a willful, chosen unity, which is stronger than anything man can contrive. All God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we just ask that you would help us to truly grasp the, the great differences that are between the Bible and the religions of man. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see and our hearts to comprehend that we may be faithful to you and to your word. Before we finish the service tonight, if anybody just needs to slip out, the altar is open. We won't be long tonight.